Go figure. I'm Jack. I'm a compulsive overeater. This is amazing. Is this, hi. This is amazing. I, first of all, I want to thank Ida for asking me. I misread her email. She asked me to speak by email. And she said something about the, the, the desert. And I saw the word dessert. And I said, if they're offering free dessert, I'm speaking. Um, and I'm not kidding. Um, what it was like, what happened, what it's like now is, is the, what I was always taught to do. And i got to tell you, when the guy started playing the music when I walked in, the first song I heard was, was a song, um, it was Amazing Grace. And uh, many years ago, since I've been in program, a couple of people in the program suggested uh, as a trip I take a cruise on some cruise lines that um, every night they ended the evening by turning off all the lights on deck and bringing down the flags or something, and they played seven or eight versions of Amazing Grace. And they played it with bagpipes and with, with words or without words. And I would sit on the deck, I went by myself, and I'd sit on the deck and cry. And I didn't want to be overly dramatic, but the words of the song kind of reminded me of the transition between how I came in here feeling and what I felt like by then already. Uh, when I came into this program in 1982, uh, I didn't do much right. I was so surrendered and so tired. I had ran out of gas. I had ran out of steam. The elasticity of my skin and my enthusiasm had reached outer limits. Um, and I was done. And I've never left. And I don't take any credit for that. God's been real good to me. And I've never wanted to leave. I had nowhere to go. Uh, there was not a lot of places that would have me back. Um, I'm in my third career, and in my first one I endeavored to be a lawyer, and that got me not invited to a lot of parties. And um, then I tried to sell life insurance for a few years, and that got me invited to less parties. And uh, my personality wasn't that good at the time either, so it made for a bad combination. So since I've been coming to this program in 1982, you guys keep welcoming me back, and uh, I've never wanted to leave. So if you're new, if you don't do anything right, just keep coming back. Uh, do it wrong, do it right. Do it often, don't do it often. Uh, have a sponsor, don't have a sponsor. I'll tell you what I did, and I'll tell you what I suggest, and I'll tell you my experience, strength, and hope. But don't leave. Um, and certainly don't quit before the miracle. Um, I keep thinking the word miracle real quick. Uh, for any of you who know about dreidels, I'm hooked on, I'm obsessed with dreidels lately, the little tops that um, my people uh, play some game on. on uh, <laughs> Hey, I'm Jewish. For me to figure out how to move those things two feet back was a big McGillis, so you know? <laughs> I don't do blue-collar manual labor. I'm sorry. When I came into the program in 1982, I was 29 and a half years old. I grew up in the Fairfax area. I grew up in Los Angeles. I was a compulsive overeater from the day I was born. I was a fat elementary school student. Uh, I really, I didn't fit in in elementary school. I went to that elementary school by Farmer's Market. And I didn't fit in. I just, something was wrong, and I didn't know what it was, but, but y'all were marching to one beat, and I was marching to a very different beat. I grew up in a very normal neighborhood, a normal family, a normal household, and a normal everything, um, except for I didn't feel so normal. Um, I was fat enough to lose 30 pounds in elementary school. I was fat enough to lose 50 pounds in John Burroughs Junior High School. And... Um, Everything was fine in my family. It really was nice. My father's an accountant. He turned uh, 80 recently. He's a nice guy. My sister is tall, thin, blonde, and good-looking. And everything in my family was very normal. We had no divorces in our neighborhood. There were no Jewish alcoholics. 
there was no uh, wife abuse or child abuse. It was a very vanilla, bland, boring, but fine neighborhood. In 1967, on Mother's Day, my mother died. Um, it was a rather a shocking blow because I didn't know she was sick. And so basically, one day I came home and, and kind of metaphorically, she went from alive to dead. And I was 14 and fat. And all hell broke loose. In my freshman year at UCLA, at 18, at 17 years old, 18 years old, I weighed 305. My top weight uh, is 305. So, um, I've been there, and I, I'm 51. I turned 51 last week, so I grew up at the time of Seago and Metrical and Weight Watchers. I went to Fairfax High School, and about a block away was the uh, Weight Watchers main office by Melrose and um, Fairfax. Uh, there was a doctor that I've since heard in these rooms actually was giving pills to other people other than me. Uh, Dr. Clarence Hunter was giving uh, speed uh, in Beverly Hills little pills to, well, picture me on speed. I mean, for those of you who know me, <laughs> it's not a pretty sight, and this is on like GCAP. Um, and all it made me do was, I, I have to say, it all it made me do was eat faster. Um, <laughs> And then I'd fall asleep wherever I was. So my whole life was about dieting. It was about my stretch marks and my loose skin and my body that was not quite built like the other boys. And junior high is really chaotic on kids, I think. You know, budding hormones and mine weren't budding. And, and uh, other parts of me were, but my hormones weren't. And uh, climbing ropes, which I can jokingly say, it made no sense to me. There was something kind of odd about being, I mean, being asked to climb a rope. I couldn't see quite... You know, my dad's a bright guy, and he's a CPA, and I couldn't quite see the moral, emotional, spiritual significance in being able to swept his body up a, I think I called it a farcocta rope. Um, <laughs> but I couldn't do it, suffice it to say. Um, 300 pounds was hell. Uh, it, there was nothing fun about it. Um, it gave a physical manifestation to how crappy I felt about myself. And... Uh, it was hard. I, I drove today, just this morning, by one of the big men shops that I used to shop at uh, near Santa Monica and uh, Melrose. My top size was a, um, a 50. I bought a 50 suit one time. I was wearing 48 with some regularity. I think these are a 34, and I've been about the same size, give or take a little, um, for the last 21 years. Um, yeah. The bizarre part was losing weight. I mean, all I dreamt about was to be able to lose weight and stay at one size for a minute. For a minute. It was always, I knew how to gain weight real quickly. I could do, I heard about 30 and 30 in program. I was good for 30 and 30 anytime, way before program. I could gain 30 pounds any 30 days. I could lose 30 pounds any 30 days. But I never could keep it off. Um, I've heard every line. I've done everything. I counted calories. I could, I tell you, uh, uh, the Finnery in Los Angeles was a diet chain for a while, and, and, and uh, I, they used to call me before they opened up new outlets of the Finnery to see if I could make it to the opening. Um, I was a walking billboard for them. Um, it, was, it was thick. Uh, but I didn't know about the disease. First of all, we weren't using the word disease in the 70s and 80s. Uh, it was, you know, it was a moral issue, and it was about lack of willpower and lack of self-control, and uh, certain people had it and other people didn't, and I didn't. Um, I lost 100 pounds at UCLA, and I got, new, this sounds like a, a canned line, but it's true, I, I got a new girlfriend, a new suit, a new car, and a new briefcase, and I thought everything was fixed, and uh, I stayed at that 100 pound weight loss for minutes, minutes. Um, then I went to law school, 
which took a bad situation and made it markedly worse. And I discovered alcohol, and I discovered uh, Valium, which I was stealing from my father, who had been stealing it from my mother, who had already been dead for years. And um, it was like we had all these secrets in my family, and I was stealing the drugs that he was stealing, and nobody was talking about it. And what the food didn't kill, the, uh, the Valium and vodka did. And three years later, as scary as this to admit, uh, I uh, graduated law school. And I was just about ready to take the California bar exam in 1976, and I ran out of gas. I just ran out of gas. I, it was like a car going uphill, and it wasn't going anymore. And I didn't take the bar exam, and I floundered for six years, and my life was as unmanageable as it had ever been thin. And I battled with the food, and I was eating uglier than I had eaten even when fat. Um, I was eating half gallons of diet ice cream on Friday night. Half a gallon of Weight Watchers Neapolitan ice cream with Tilly Lewis diet chocolate syrup and raisins. Um, that was Friday night and then one more Saturday morning. And I don't call myself a bulimic, but uh, it's just a matter of semantics because I wasn't, you know, straying too far away from the bathroom uh, for the next two days. Uh, but my weight stayed reasonably the same. And so I thought I had whooped it. And... Oh, at the 10-minute mark, has it been 10 already? Joe? That's one. Joe, I asked Joe what I should say of anything profound tonight, and he said, talk about him. So, um, and he said, say it three times. So, I owe you two more, Joe. When it came to Old Readers Anonymous, it was upon the suggestion of a woman who had never been in any 12-step program. And she said, I don't know what to tell you anymore. I'm scared for you. I don't know what to say. Maybe they can help you. And I crawled into Beverly Hills High School on a Monday night, on eight, uh, January 5th. Anybody who starts their abstinence in December or November, my hat's off to you. I don't get how, when, I, when people take candles in November, I think they, some are really sicker than others. I don't mean, I know it's not about personalities here, but uh, I don't get it. I was going to start somewhere around Halloween, and I was going to keep going through Thanksgiving, uh, Christmas, your holiday my holiday, anybody's holiday, if there was a Kwanzaa then I would have been eaten over it, um, New Year's, and then we'll start another diet on the next closest Monday. Um, Monday, January 5th, I crawled into Beverly Hills High School, and I was whooped. I was done, and I was fried. And I was so teachable, and I was so open. The speaker was a guy named Gary L., and Gary was, um, somebody invented tools, and one of the tools was sponsorship. And they said, find somebody who has what you want. And Gary was thin, he had been fat, he was, he, could, uh, he was married, and he was funny. And that was all I needed. And he became my first sponsor. And uh, I've always had a sponsor. If you're new, I've worked this program decently sometimes and not as decently other times, but I've always had a sponsor. I had Gary for six years. And in those days, I really wanted the program to be about a food plan and therapy. Don't eat so much and go to therapy. And so I bought a copy of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and I read it and I did not see the word God. I did not see the word spirituality. I saw weight, scales, food plans. Um, and that's the way I worked my program. It was not real great, but it kept coming back. Uh, my disease took a turn in the other direction. I came in and my goal weight was 180 and when I hit 180, I changed it to 170. And when I hit 170, I changed my goal weight to 160. And when I hit 160, I changed my goal weight to 150. And I'm uh, about six, almost six feet tall. And uh, I was sicker than I had ever been outside the program, but I was thin. 
and you guys were clapping for me, and you guys were asking me to speak, and the women were hugging me, and, uh, and I stayed anyway, Joe. Um, that's two. Um, all the men in the program were buying a size small that they had always wanted to wear, and they wore it one time, and then they gave it to me. Uh, Mario gave me clothes, Spencer gave me clothes, everybody gave me clothes, it was great. And I was really out there. Uh, I didn't know about honesty, I didn't know about page 42 in the big book, I didn't know about the spirituality, and for me it was go to meetings, take some direction, pray like a son of a gun, and white knuckle abstinence. That, that's what it was for me. Um, two years later, my uh, car was stolen. And when my car was stolen, it, was, it, it came back in Zanesville, Ohio. Somebody found my car in Zanesville, Ohio. And when they got it back, everything had been stripped out of my car, including my big book. And so I had to buy another big book. It was in 1984. And it was a new edition. Nobody, there is no such edition as 1984 edition, but this big book mentioned the word God and steps and spirituality and didn't mention white and scale. And I read it again and highlighted it again. And um, two years later, my car was stolen. Again, same Honda. And it came back in downtown L.A., script of most everything, including my second copy of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. So I bought a third copy of the big book of AA. And that one looked real different than the first two. I had Gary as a sponsor for six years. I had a woman named Deborah for about five or six or seven. And Carol, for those of you who know Carol, was my sponsor for the last 11 or 12 years. And what it's like is, I can't believe when I see the words that Roseanne, in the title of that book, Beyond Your Wildest Dreams, uh, if you're new, let me tell you what, what this journey has been for me. Um, I was told in the beginning, first of all, meetings. This was, for those of you who were around then, this was how OA worked in the early 80s. Everybody went like little lemmings in a little group of about 50 of us. We went Monday night to Beverly Hills High School. We went Tuesday night to Beverly Hills High School. We went Wednesday night to Palms Park. We went Thursday night to the 100 Pounders meeting. We went Friday to the Salians of Cedar Sinai. We went Saturday morning to the Maintainers meeting. We went Sunday to Serenity Sunday. And then we went back to Beverly Hills High School on Monday. That was for the people in the city. And the Valley probably had their own counterpart. That's what we did. We went to lunch after the daytime meetings. We went to coffee after the nighttime meetings. We went for dinner before the nighttime meetings. We sat. We did fellowship. We did everything you hear about in AA. If one of us was sick, 15 people showed up. If somebody's house needed painting, it's the equivalent of what you hear about in Pacific Group AA, 25 people showed up. People you didn't like, people you didn't want, but they showed up. <laughs> um, I passed out one night in the early 80s. I had given blood that day and I passed out in the middle of the night and I was scared. And in the morning, I called uh, Len and I said, Len, you work in the, at a hospital in Santa Monica, don't you? Is it a good hospital? He said, yes, yeah, it's a good hospital. Why? And I told him, he said, schmuck, go to the hospital. So I go to the hospital, and I'm waiting in the emergency room, and I'm lying there, and I'm scared. And there's a knock on the door. I assume it's the doctor, and it's Len. He shows up in the ER. How he gets in, I don't know. He kisses me on the forehead. He rubs my kepala. He says everything's going to be fine, and he leaves. Now, I think that really happened. I think that... <laughs> I really think that happened. Joe, did that happen? That's three. Um, That's what this program has given me. And what you told me to do in the beginning was to stand at the podium and share about everything and anything that bothers you. And let me tell you about what it, what it did for me. I fetched those first eight months, um, uh, complained for the first eight months. <laughs> I'll do the rest of this thing in English as opposed to the traditional Hebrew. Um, 
That goes in. The Silverman's Boxer will be on page 111. Um, I complained from the podium about everything that bothered me. And what bothered me then was I had a lot of shame about my body. It didn't matter that I was thin. I had stretch marks, and my skin didn't look so good, and I hadn't taken off my shirt. You guys told me to be honest. Somebody gave me page 482, which is the last paragraph in the story, Bell of the Ball. And the woman talks about that honesty would be the easiest thing for her to do in recovery, but it's the exact opposite of everything she's done in her entire life. But nobody can do it perfectly, but if I keep trying day at a time, getting honest with myself will allow me to get honest with other people. So I read that and I said, I'm going to try this. So I got up and I said, I hate my body. And I didn't get a lot of sympathy because I was thin. And I said, I don't care whether you give me sympathy or not. You told me what to talk about, which is anything that bothered me, anything I would have eaten over. If, if it was enough to eat over, it's enough to talk about and to write about and to pray about. So I got up there and one woman, she came to the program for 15 minutes. I've never seen her again. She said, oh, I would like to help you. And I thought I was being seduced and I didn't care. She said to me, let's go to the beach and I will protect you. And if anybody comes to bother you, basically it was like Don Quixote, I'll, I'll slay the dragons. And she went to the beach with me and I looked around and I looked around and my heart started going fast and I took off my shirt for the first time outside in the light of the outdoors and I took my t-shirt and I put it under my arm and I shook and Carolyn kept looking around and she didn't look at me and I didn't look at her because I didn't want to see the look in her eyes if she saw my stretch marks and next thing I knew I had done what I had waited 20 years to do which was I got to be outside like a normal guy at the beach and I never saw Carolyn again after that and I don't care. I hope she's on her journey. But let me tell you what it is. I can take off my shirt now when a guy's supposed to take off his shirt. I can walk around my own home naked and believe me, I'm married. I would not be able to do today what I do today to live normally today had it not been for things like that. The other thing is you all told me to, uh, to talk about everything that bothered me and I had such disdain. I'm Jewish and all my friends were doctors and lawyers. And I was floundering trying to peddle life insurance, which I didn't buy. I didn't buy Literally, I didn't buy it. I hadn't bought any, and I was trying to sell this shit. Um, and one woman came up to me, Angie came up to me and said to me, have you ever thought of working in an eating disorder hospital? And I said, why me? And she said, to be honest with you, because you're male, you can talk, you're thin, and you were fat. I said, that's all? She said, that's all. And so next thing I knew, I was volunteering at a hospital program, telling my story, sharing experience, strength, and hope to a bunch of compulsive readers who were inpatient. And a few minutes later, they had a job opening, and a few minutes later, they hired me, and a few minutes later, they told me to go to graduate school. And when they told me to go to graduate school, I told them where to shove it. And they said, I did hostile a response, no. And I said, you don't remember me in law school? I drank, I used, and I gained 100 pounds. And they said, you weren't in recovery then. And you know what? I was wrong, and they were right. I went back to graduate school in 1984 or 32. I thought I was the oldest person ever to be in school. And two years later, I graduated with my master's. And two years after that, they said, well, hold your hands some more. Why don't you go back and take your licensing exam? I got licensed uh, by the state of California in 1988 to be a marriage and family therapist. And I've had a practice. This is my third career. And God willing, it's my last. But uh, I love what I do today. I'm successful at it. My practice is full. And it's all because I stood up at the podium at all those meetings with the other group of Gummings and told you what was going on. Um, I've had a sponsor all through. Um, I've done service all through. I, I was really sad today to be at the panel uh, on service. There were two speakers and there was a uh, moderator on the panel. And there were three of us 
listening to the panel. And I went because somebody I knew was on the panel. There were only two other people there. And uh, I was told about sponsorship. I was told about volunteering to, you know, hug people and clean tables and clean chairs and clean paper cups and all that stuff. Um, then I got into the steps. In the beginning, I didn't want to do the steps, but uh, I've done the steps three times. And I've done at least the three ways I most commonly hear about. I went through those 8,142 million questions and answered them about everything that I've ever been through. Um, I've done it paragraph at a time through the 12 and 12. Um, I've, I, I've, you know, I've done, I've done the columns. I've done whatever you guys told me to do. I figured you knew and I didn't. And I have proven a total inability to live life on life's terms. I have proven that to myself. Um, my food plan, which I still talk about because it's, if I'm not abstinent, I'm in deep shit. So for me, for me, I buy the second to the last paragraph of the first step, which says that uh, working the remaining 11 steps means the adoptions of actions and attitudes that almost no alcoholic who is still drinking could think of taking. When I came to the program, I pulled aside three men, and I said, how does this program work? And one of them was Bill, may rest in peace, one of them was Larry W., and one of them was Richie. And one of them said, get right by God and everything will be fine. So I didn't like that one, so I asked the second guy, and he said, work the steps and everything will be fine. And I didn't like that one any better, so I asked the third guy, and then I found one who said something I liked, which he said, get your food in order. Now, if your food did not get in order when you walked in the door, gate is into hate, which means go and be well, don't worry, it doesn't mean, it's not, it's not a bad thing. Whatever your path is, let it be your path, embrace it, and go that way. Mine was, I got struck abstinent that day. I walked in, and I wrote down on a little piece of paper, no sugar, no bread, three meals a day, nothing in between. In those days, I came in right toward the very end of gray sheet, and right early on in the moderate mealers. I knew I had never eaten one thing with sugar in it in moderation. And you know what? I was not, for me, I was not going to go one-on-one -on -one with a Twinkie, knowing that if I lose, I go back to 300 pounds, or 400 pounds, or 500 pounds for me. And if I win, I get a Twinkie. This is the big, this is the big victory if I win. <laughs> Twinkie, yes. It didn't seem like such a big decision today. <laughs> Three meals a day, nothing in between. I don't eat bread. I never ate a piece of bread in my life. I ate lots of bread. I don't eat bread today, and I don't feel deprived. When I, I knew a woman in the program many years ago who said she's not going to eat like I did because she feels deprived. You know something? I don't feel deprived. When my, Natalie, I heard Natalie from the podium one day, and I was, I was taking notes early in the program. I figured if I wrote it down, it would stick better. She said, and I almost quoted her, it's not about the food, and it is about the food, and it's not about the food, and it is about the food. <laughs> I write this down, and I'm thinking, this program is nuts. She said, when the food's in order, recovery is not about the food at all. And when it's not in order, it's only about the food. I got zapped with clean eating. Why? Hell if I know. What's the difference? It's zapped in my path. So I ate my three meals a day come hell or high water. I had a cancer scare here in the desert 12 years ago. When I found out I didn't have cancer, I called the uh, dietitian. At, uh, I'll never forget this. It was at Eisenhower Medical Center. And I said, who's the dietitian? And I was told it was a woman named Spike. <laughs> That's all I remember. I get on the phone with Spike and I said, look, we got to talk. And, and I told her about what I needed for food. When you, when you go to Europe, one of the directions is like 37 hours a day. I get three meals. And coming back, when it's like a two and a half hour day, I get three meals. <laughs> I'm Yom Kippur, the Jewish holiday when we're supposed to fast. 
there is special dispensation for medicine. My three meals is my medicine. I'm eating three meals a day come hell or high water. Let a rabbi argue. I got married two and a half years ago. If the rabbi would have said I needed to eat a piece of the wedding cake, and now I'm getting another rabbi. My wife knew not to get between me and my recovery. There's no reason to. Henry used to say that. He said, don't get between me and my program. Just do not go there. Because it will not be a tough decision. Because absent what I've learned in this program, I don't have a life. So the whole thing's a moot point anyway. I've got to do it this way because this way is what works. I don't drink. Why? Because I used to get drunk a lot. I remember the, um, um, I don't call myself an alcoholic. But you know what? Again, it's semantics. I never drank lightly. And in 1980, I realized that if I cut out alcohol, I could eat more. Because there are calories. So I cut out booze and I haven't had a drink since New Year's Eve 1980. Now, I don't do what you all who are alcoholics have to do to stay sober. I don't want to minimize what it's taken for you to get there. So I don't want to glorify me and call myself a sober alcoholic. But I have no business drinking. And I know that today because when I reach page 482, it says, Be honest with yourself, schmuck. Did you ever drink like a gentleman? And the answer is, No. I just didn't. In the late 70s, I went to a graduation at UCLA for my best friend. I went there. I got drunk on the way. I fell asleep. I woke up. I asked to be pointed to the, the stadium where the graduation was, and there was nobody in the stadium. I had passed out in the student store at UCLA. This was not normal. Um, so I had a food plan from the get-go, and I don't deviate. And again, there's no nobility in what I do. I've been zapped this way. If you've been spe- uh, zapped spiritually fit, and you're working on the other two folds of the disease, you know, God bless you. Just keep coming back. I, I'm, everything I need here, everything I've needed to lead a life that's happy, joyous, and free. Real quick, I want to talk about higher power and steps. I know not nearly enough time, but real quick. For me to take the first step is, no pun intended, a piece of cake. My life is unmanageable. I am powerless over food. I got pictures going around to prove it. I got stretch marks to prove it. I got battle scars to prove it. I got that size 50 suit in my closet at home to prove it. I came to believe in the power. Deborah taught me this. I had a hard time with the spirituality of this program. She said, can you come to know a source of information within you that if accessed and honored will allow you to function at a higher level than you've ever functioned before? Yes. And the first step, she said, is turn your life and your will over to care of that entity, that, that voice, that still quiet voice within. The fourth step, I did whatever you told me. I read it to anybody. I didn't care. Six and seven, I, on a regular basis, I pray to have my character defects removed. And I'll tell you something. Being married for two and a half years, I get to see mirrored back to me all of my worst character defects because they come out in a relationship. And you know what? I'm grateful that this time around, because I was married a long time ago once before, that this time around I have tools on how to live in a way I just didn't even have earlier in recovery. Eight and nine and ten, if I make a mistake, I want to know about it, I want to know about it fast, and I want to apologize. I want a clean house, and I want to keep it... I just... I don't want to schlep any more baggage. I don't want to be schlepping around yesterday's, yesterday's craziness. The 11th step, I do the best I can, pray and meditate. Driving here yeah, this, uh, this morning was an absolute pleasure. It was peaceful, it was quiet, and I could, he- I could just hear the nothingness. I could hear the peace and I could hear the quiet. And as far as 12th step, it is an honor. It is an honor. I will go anywhere to speak to anyone about anything to do with recovery. Because I ain't got nothing more important to do with my time than to give back to you all who collectively have given me a life. If you're new, just keep coming back. I was mostly honest, not always. I am now. I did it the best I could. I did the best I could. If you're new, just don't leave. Go to meetings. I went to a lot of meetings in the beginning. I was going to seven meetings a week. My work is too busy right now. I go to two meetings a week. It's not everything I like it to be. But my life is full today. Larry used to call it high-class problems. 
I know it's not about stuff, but I have stuff today also. It's nice to have a lot of clothes. It's nice to have clothes that fit. It's nice to go places and be welcomed back. It's nice to feel happy, joyous, and free. And it's nice to know that that little boy who long ago drowned his feelings and drowned his pain and drowned his spirituality and drowned his everything with food can come out again. And the gay community gets to use the phrase coming out. But you know something? For me, recovery is about coming out. It's about finding out who this little boy is and giving him a chance a second time around. It's to rewrite the third act for me. To be happy, joyous, and free. These promises are available to all of us. I hear in 6 and 7 that if by the time you're doing 6 and 7, um, you're already sober. In theory, right? You're already sober. And if God or the 12 steps or the tools or whatever got you there can get you sober, wouldn't it be naive and God willing, wouldn't it be inaccurate to assume that the same higher power, the same 12 steps, the same eight tools, the same 12 traditions couldn't get you a job? Let me get this straight. Sober, yes. Job, no. Sober, yes. Abstinent, no. It's naive. It's like saying I can learn how to tie my left shoe, but I can't do my right shoe. Sure I can. The promises are are absolutely here. If I'm painstaking about my program, and if I keep coming back, are, these promises aren't even extravagant anymore. I mean, when I first heard Richie and people like Richie in the beginning, I thought they were, I thought they were on drugs. And I didn't believe anybody could talk about being a grateful, compulsive overeater and lead a life that was happy, joyous, or, or remotely free. Let me tell you something. I've become one of those who will gladly share the message, gladly try to give hope to anybody, because this program can't help but work. It's free. It's filled with love. It's filled with everything I've ever wanted. If I could have designed, I think, uh, uh, you might even have said it, Mike. Uh, um, if, if what I designed when I walked in that first meeting, a life plan of what I would have liked my life to have been 21 years later, I would have been selling my life so short. I would have been so naive to settle for what I would have thought I could have had 21 years later. I take it a day at a time. I try to stay in the moment to the best of my ability. And I just try to close my eyes as often as I can and remember the words of Amazing Grace, which took what felt like to me a wrecked wretch and made it into something that is, to me, beyond my wildest dreams. If you're new, please keep coming back. Thank you for the opportunity to give back, and thank you for what you all have given me.